0: Hello there, I'm Niall Brown and welcome to this episode of the Movies in Focus podcast. Released in the summer of 1991, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves was a monster success that grossed over $165 million at the US box office and more than $390 million globally, a number which made it one of the biggest hits of the year. The success of the film, along with the massive Bryan Adams hit, Everything I Do, I Do It For You, means that it still resonates today. The classic Kevin Reynolds-directed adventure gives Kevin Costner's Robin Hood plenty of swash and buckle alongside Morgan Freeman's Merry Man, while a villainous Alan Rickman chews the scenery as the Sheriff of Nottingham. Now, hot on the heels of a fantastic new release by the aptly named Arrow Films, Penn Denisham and John Watson, the writers of Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, join the Movies and Focus podcast to talk about how the film came to be, its enduring legacy and the sequel that never happened. It's a hugely informative conversation for fans of the film, and as always, I hope you enjoy what we had to say.
1: Hello, hi Neil, how are you doing?
0: I'm all right. How are you? Well, all
1: excellent. Right. This is fun.
0: Yes. Well, well, thank you for for taking the time today to talk about Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which uh, I never thought I would get the opportunity, sort of, because the film was made so long ago that it, it's data, will
1: you? Okay. Well,
0: <laughs> It takes me
1: as well, so don't worry about yeah, Usually people say, I was nine when I saw that. Well, I was only 12 when I made it,
0: so it's quite <laughs> remarkable. Um, yeah, I mean, it's one of those films that has just endured over the years. Um, why do you think it has become so iconic and it's still so beloved? Um, well, John and I were just discussing that with
1: someone else, and uh, we, we set out to make the iconic Robin Hood which is an underdog story but John mentioned something which about last night and I think you should talk about that because I think it's very well, I, was,
2: I was watching uh, Zelensky yesterday speaking to the American Congress you know and it just occurred to me that he's Robin Hood right I mean he's like this underdog hero fighting against impossible odds and Putin is the sheriff and uh, you know it's like it's a classic story it, you know it's and it, it endures because it is so uh, iconic and so I think everybody can relate to you know the underdog battling against the odds and succeeding
0: and that's it and I mean obviously the the myth of Robin Hood is so sketchy you can kind of merge it to sort of suit you know any time period as well which I, yeah. which I think is one of the things that works well it's
1: a folk tale and it's like the seven dwarfs and Robin Hood magnificent seven um you know the, these uh or Ocean's Eleven these uh, groups of folktale people against a, a, a dominant evil force, I think are, are just a tribal thing that humans have. Um, we, we, I, I was writing it when I had the privilege of having a kid with my wife, and I wanted to make a movie that was opposed to the Schwarzenegger and Stallone movies at that point, where killing human beings like Ninepins was considered heroic, where murder was good. And I wanted to make a film that sort of said something about the future my kid was gonna grow up in, which is where treasuring human life was valuable. And so that was the underlying concept for me writing Robin Hood, which is I wanted to tell a story about a rich, arrogant, barren son who learns to be willing to die for the future of his peasants' children. And that concept also, um, and, and these things are like dream images. I had this idea in my mind called Robin Hood a la Raiders, and pitched it at three studios all of whom said it was the stupidest thing they'd ever heard no one wants to see guys with swords and historical shit they they just want to see men with guns and john encouraged me to write it and uh, then we collaborated on the screenplay but the other thing that was very moving and important to me was i had this vision of putting an arab with all the sophistication and knowledge that they had at that time astrology and Medical facilities and being able to do uh, um, cesareans on horses and um, and and to put that sophistication and create somebody who was Muslim who wasn't a terrorist who wasn't this evil but was actually someone of nobility and value and so those were the two things that the story the the Robin Hood myth could carry and then you know John and I collaborated once I'd written. Um, and I've been encouraged to write despite the fact we and I wouldn't have written it if I hadn't been encouraged by John and that ended up writing a hundred page document and just letting it flow out of me it was a what I call a life script when the, sometimes the story tells you and you just get out of the way and let it come out and then John would be reading my pages and I'd say this is so stupid this is so dumb because you can't judge your own work you go no 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 keep going <laughs> so that's how it sort of started out.
0: And then at what point did it, be, because it, it sort of gained traction and then there, there became sort of a, a battle of Robin Hood films, at what point did it get the heat to make it sort of a, a big Warner Brothers movie? How, how did that all come about? Well, I'm we, we oh,
2: yeah. pitched it a bunch of places and couldn't find a home for it and uh, and decided to write it on our own. And while we were writing it, there was a writer skills strike going on. By the time we'd finished, not only were the two other Robin Hood scripts out there, but uh, there was a huge desire to to buy films, to make films because of the, the strike. So our screenplay was suddenly like hot cake, you know? They were like reading Three Robin Hoods, which is the best one. And then rumors got out that Kevin Costner really wanted to play Robin Hood. Uh, so we ended up with a choice actually between making the film at Warner Brothers uh, where Joel Silver would have been the producer and we would have been the writers and, and asked to go away. Or making it Morgan Creek, where we had an opportunity to produce the film ourselves and and make sure the vision fit with you know, everything we'd had in mind leading up to that. So um, and Morgan Creek had a deal with Warner Brothers for release. And so suddenly this, you know, this little underdog script that nobody wanted was big Hollywood movie at Warner Brothers.
0: With the biggest star in Hollywood at that time. I mean, people sort of forget. Well, he
2: actually emerged. I mean, Dancing with the Wolves, he was just finishing it um just before he came over to start filming in Hood. so he was you know he won the Oscar before the movie came out but at the time he wasn't that big a star in England he'd mostly made uh, baseball movies you know <laughs> uh, but he he suddenly became the big star our timing was great you
0: know we got the mo- the right movie star at the right moment in his career and i mean did that change the script obviously when you you do get a movie star they they come in and they they want sort of things changed around with the script did any changes come once Costner became involved in it?
2: Oh, yeah, he had a lot he had quite a lot of input. He had terrific instincts. I mean, he' really had a feel for uh, what what would make that character larger than life and special, but still be grounded, relatable guy. It,
0: it was it was a was teamwork for sure. And Kevin Reynolds, I mean, he'd obviously had a relationship with with Kevin Costner before the film. Was he on the film before Costner or did he come because of his friendship through him?
2: It was a little bit of a juggling act. I mean, we we, kind of had a greenlit movie without having a movie star or a movie director. You know, Morgan Creek had committed to go make the movie. So I was over there in England uh, looking for heads of departments and finding locations before we actually had a green light. And we knew Kevin Costner wanted to do the movie. We knew Kevin Reynolds was interested, but he had another movie he was supposed to do it Universal. So it wasn't until he found out one weekend and said, hey, my movie's not going to happen that we went, "Okay, good. Here we go. Let's go. Let's get on a plane. Let's go to England. Let's make this thing
0: happen. And I mean, one of the the great things about the film, just to sort of ruin the ending for anyone who hasn't seen it in the last 30 years, is sort of Sean Connery's cameo at the end. How did that come about? And, you know, what, what was it like sort of getting him involved?
1: Um, I'd written the movie with a very specific interest to make a humanistic film. I wanted a film where um, I I, I have this term, which is the makers of life as opposed to the takers of life, where the film actually increased the sense of family values. And there was a discussion going on to pick John Cleese to be King Richard at the end of the movie. And I was so disturbed because I felt that if you invest all the love story and the baby being born and these men dying for their futures, then it's a joke. And so I'm not very courageous, but I am passionate. And so I phoned up Mike, Mike Ovitz, who was the head of CAA. And I asked him if he could give me Sean. And I said, we're running out of budget. He can't have a credit because we can't have people waiting the whole movie to see Sean because he doesn't turn up to the last few minutes. And um, they, they said, well, show us the scene. So I quickly revised the scene, made it as strong as I could and then sent it off and they phoned back and said, yes, a million dollars we will give you for a day's work. And I go, no, no, you don't understand. And I don't know where I got this from, but he can't be paid because we don't have any more budget. And we can't give him a credit because we can't spoil the movie because it will, but it will be a piece of film history. I guarantee you that. And then John, I think took over the negotiation, but what happened was Sean ended up doing it for a donation to a hospital in Scotland.
2: it turned out that he was uh, uh, going to Rome to meet with the Pope of all things. And and they said, he's got this one day on the way back from Rome before he has an appointment in LA. If you can figure out a way to film in on that one day, we can make it happen. Because that one day was like late November where there were no trees, leaves left on the trees. Uh, So we ended up having to completely fake it, tape leaves onto trees, having people off camera with buckets of leaves to, Hurl around to make it look like it was still you know, a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful summer's day in the forest, um, and it, it was like you know, one of the shortest days of the year, and we were just scrambling to get it all done in one day. Uh, but you know, it happened. It happened, and he was a delight.
0: And that's and he's also got sort of a, a history with the Robin Hood character, having sort of done uh, Robin and Marion in the century. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's a, it's a nice sort of echo of that so it, it, and the they two the two of the films make a very good companion piece it's a great double bill for those yeah i think the subject matter obviously really appealed to him that
2: was you know part of the reason we got him he, he, he and, I, mean and i also, thought, he'd
1: also worked with kevin and i think they must have had a reasonable relationship from from that movie so um
2: oh yeah they played uh, they played father and son right yeah
0: didn't and you've got Christian Slater in the film, sort of playing Costner's brother as well, and, and he was like a rising star at that point too. How did how did he get involved? And because in a strange way, he does resemble Kevin Costner, you know. You, but you wouldn't necessarily think of casting the two of them together. So how did how did that happen? Well, we we
2: actually had a relationship with Christian. We we had. Um... We had been uh, sort of fostering a, f- a friendship with him and trying to get movies made with him, so it was a comparatively easy call to give him a shout and say, "Hey, Christian, what do you think?" And he was just all over it. He just thought, you know, he loved the script, he loved the character, he loved the idea of playing with Kevin. Um, so yeah, that that
0: that was a real a real coup. And then there's Alan Rickman, who's you know one of one of the the great villain performances. I mean, obviously he played the villain in Die Hard. What was it like sort of getting him for the role and was he apprehensive or?
2: We, we, you know, the idea of having Alan Rickman play play the villain was like instantaneous, right? It's like you used to look at the time in 1990 of who are the great uh, movie villains and like he's the first one that springs into mind. But it turned out that was the wrong approach. He did not want to play another villain. He absolutely refused to play a villain. So he wanted to have a character that was more rounded than that and had a whole there a lot of other elements going for him you know he perceived himself as a as a movie star a leading man you know a Shakespearean actor <laughs> so it wasn't until we said okay well you can improvise you know you can make up your own lines you can you know carve your version of the sheriff and do anything you want as long as you also say all the lines that we wrote and that was the deal we made and it worked and uh, he had this friend Ruby Wax, who kind of helped him find uh, some of the comedic lines in the movie. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, we didn't really know completely how well it was going to work while it was happening. It was was it too over the top? Was it like really out there? I don't know. But when we tested it with an audience, they just they just loved it. And I think you know clearly he adds an element to the film that contributed enormously to its success.
0: And I mean, it, it is a fantastic performance. I mean, I think everyone's great in the movie. I'm a big Kevin Costner fan as well. So I think he makes a really good sort of modern swashbuckling Robin Hood. And he's a, he's a, he's a very good foil against Rickman, which brings me to tone. I mean, the, the, the film sort of, it's adventurous, it's romantic, it's a bit scary, it's comedic. How do you write that knowing that you're hitting all those marks and once that the director takes that off your hands, it's going to work. What's that like?
1: Well, I think films are concerts of the emotions, and we we again this was written because I'd had the privilege of having a kid with my wife, and wanted to make a film that was holistically valuable, as opposed to which was celebrating people shooting people, yeah. and that and and so the difference between Schwarzenegger and, and Stallone movies like Commando, where you shoot everybody and you you murder people, and that's heroic. I wanted to make a film where we celebrate life by being willing to die for other people's futures. And I call those the makers of life as opposed to the takers of life, which all sounds a bit ahi-fadi, but underneath that film is the story of a man who's willing to die for his peasants' children's futures. And it has a birth scene in it, which mimics the experience of my wife and I having an emergency cesarean together to bring our child into the future. And so those things were inherent In my belief that this would be a great metaphor, a a system of um, writing, because Robin Hood is a is a folk tale, as is Snow White, the Seven Dwarfs, the Magnificent Seven. You know, you're 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 these little underdogs that go up against an evil force. That's a standard, and it's a great it's a great mechanism to then put an Arab and a Christian side by side because they're both against this greater force, and it forces them to unite. And at that time, making Arabs appear evil and terrorists and things. I wanted to make one there which showed the incredible intelligence of the Arab nations and their, their, their psychology and their science and you know, to, to make this so that it was revolutionary. And I also um, checked out, I had a, a meeting with a, a bowulf expert and decided that at that time, putting a witch into that world would be very useful And so you know that that um, ended up being uh, John and my guiding force, which is making a film that speaks to family values, which is also a freaking good adventure.
0: Yeah. um, Oh, go
2: ahead. Sorry, we knew we were going to have a lot of action and adventure and lots of you know wonderful iconic you know bow and arrows and horseback and sword fighting sequences. So that pen very intelligently balanced that with this the the dark side you know starting on the Crusades, starting with with you know with uh robin about to have his hand chopped off and uh you know getting home and finding his dad had been killed so we had a place to go you know and i think that and then with all the humor that came in um a lot of it was in the script the repartee between the guys in the forest and uh, the addition of uh of Alan Rickman's um, special qualities, I, I think just, just gave us, um, as Penn rightly says, a concert of the emotions. It's it's a lot of entertainment on a lot of different levels. And why not? I think we were breaking breaking a new form at the time. You know, there was like, there was the drama, there was the comedy, or there was the horror movie, there was the thriller. And we kind of, I think, invented a new form that uh, a lot of people tr- were imitated for a while after that.
0: Well, that's, I mean, it's the perfect kind of Sunday afternoon film. I own I own sort of two different versions of it in DVD. And even when I'm flicking around and it's on television and I see it on, it's one of those films you end up sort of engrossed in for like two and a half <laughs> hours. As, as you I watch have, it. I have the same experience. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah. honestly, we're, we're really grateful.
1: I mean, it's not that one can guarantee that the film you invest your love and heart in is going to succeed. We have other films that we've made that have not gotten that kind of response, but we put as much love into them. And so uh, that this film is still being seen valued by people uh, is something that's humbling, uh, you know, it's uh, it's wonderful.
0: And I mean, it was a huge hit, like I said, um, you could have made probably two or three sequels. Why was there not the further adventures of Robin Hood or? You know, I actually
1: wrote the sequel. And um, we do not know uh, why the people who financed our movie chose not to make a sequel. That sequel was gonna involve Robin Hood and his merry man going to rescue Richard in the Holy Land where he's being held ransom and being given the ransom gold by King Rich, by by, sorry, by Prince John, and then finding out three quarters of the way that was painted lead. And they were (laughs) sent because they were thought of as thieves and he could blame them for his brother never coming back. So that was gonna be the sequel.
2: of teams up with the moors to uh, to accomplish his goals. and yeah, it's good. I mean, I, I think I, that you know, you'd have to speculate that the company did not want to pay for it, and I don't think uh, Kevin Costner had the same appetite to repeat the characters he did before. Uh, as successful he is and as you know as wonderful as he is in the film, he got pretty lambated by particularly American critics for his performance. And I don't think he I just don't think he wanted to do it again. He was the star of the 90s and he was being offered everything, you know, so I think he decided to
0: try other things. It, it's crazy to hear that, especially it was such a huge hit, you know, you think, you know, these days companies are scrambling over each other to sort of build universes and sequels and trilogies and, you know, to think back 30 years and it was like, yeah, we'll just leave that money on the table and and not no, it.
1: I was much more disappointed the story did get told because what you find out is that when they've when they've lost everything and the, and they they try and go rob another bunch of uh thieves because they've heard they've got money turns out that bunch is run by Azim and right. he's the, he's the actual king of that world who's been deposed and so you know it, it was a it was one of those things where the all the plotting actually was so cool i really want to see it on the screen I, I i
0: know i want to see it is, is
1: there
2: no way you can use that as a reboot for are bringing all over again now we, uh, yeah. we 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 definitely wanted to do it <laughs> I, I, if, I, I know. Oh, I Kevin, to see. Costner. Kevin Costner is a sixty-year-old Robin Hood. I don't know. Would that work? I, no, he could do it. We could do it. It's, uh, <laughs>
1: it's always possible.
0: Yeah, I'll uh, I'll start the petition online now. So Thank you. There work. you go. <laughs> and just as as time comes to an end, just finally, what what are you guys working on at the minute?
2: Oh God, uh, you want a you want a long list? I'm well, actually. Pen is uh, is still writing away uh, ferociously and w- writing some wonderful scripts and I'm teaching at uh, USC Film School School of mm-hmm. Cinematic Arts so I'm okay <clears throat> Ryan Coogler is one of my students who's just come out with uh, the second Black Panther and he's been a a huge huge uh, success so I take a lot of vicarious um, joy in his success. And do you want to talk about
1: is that any of your... Yeah, I, 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 you know, as I say, I'm spending my time, I have two or three scripts that um, are emotionally very purposeful to me, and um, I say sometimes the stories tell you, and so I, I'm spending my time looking at how do I get those made, and getting movies made, uh, getting people to spend millions of dollars is always difficult, and, um, but there, one is a, a murder mystery set in the world of the navajo another one is about a young child who grows up alone on an island with nothing but dolphins as his companions um they there and another one is where three women go to a will reading and find out they were all married to the same guy and he unfortunately seems to have committed suicide and discover that he was an undercover cop and that they end up investigating his murder and becoming friends so you know i i you know i just write what my heart tells me and um those things are fun. They're, they're worth putting my, my time and energy into.
0: Well, guys, can I just say it's been an absolute pleasure to to talk about Robin Hood? Uh, like I said, it's one of my favorite films. I've sort of been watching it for I saw it at the cinema when it came out. So I my sort of my my relationship with it goes way back. And to talk to the two guys who sort of brought it to life has been phenomenal. So can I just say thank you very much? Well, thank you. It's it's fun to be uh, you know. It's fun to still be, a, be talking about it. Thank you. <laughs> and and now I'm just annoyed that we never got that sequel. So uh, thank you, guys. That's <laughs> yeah, true.
1: Yeah, we don't talk about it too often. You're one of the few people that know that.
0: Well, I'm going to be telling everyone that we almost got one. So uh, <laughs> we almost got that Robin Hood sequel. But again, that's, guys, thank you so much for your time. Bye now. Cheers. Bye bye. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Movies and Focus podcast. You can download it wherever you get your podcasts, and I hope that you tell your friends about it. That's it for this time, and I'll see you at the movies.